Good morning. From the newsroom of the Financial Times, today is Monday, January 14th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Today, regulatory roadblocks for Visa and MasterCard in China, Emmanuel Macron's latest effort to satisfy the Gilets Jaunes protesters, and how the U.S. government shutdown might soon start to hurt Wall Street. Then the FT's Jim Pickard lays out the week ahead for Brexit. I'm Eric Krupke, and here's the news you need to start your day. The FT reports that credit card companies Visa and MasterCard submitted applications to the People's Bank of China to process renminbi payments more than a year ago. But according to two people familiar with the matter, China's central bank has not acknowledged those applications. Rules passed in 2017 were meant to remove obstacles for foreign companies participating in the Chinese market. The People's Bank of China is the largest shareholder in China UnionPay, which is a financial services company that effectively has a monopoly on renminbi bank card payments in China. The U.S. has been trying to get greater market access for American financial services companies, but the refusal could cause trouble in trade negotiations between Washington and Beijing. The Gilets Jaunes protests in France have been going on now for nine consecutive weeks. The protests started as a grassroots rebellion against fuel taxes, but now they've turned into a broader cry against the unpopular French President Emmanuel Macron. Now Mr. Macron will try to end the anti-government protests with a national debate. On Sunday evening, Mr. Macron sent a letter to the French people outlining the framework of the debate. He said there will be four main topics, reform of France's democratic institutions, taxation, public services and the organization of the states, and the environment. The president will travel to northern France on Tuesday to begin the debate. For many of the protesters, though, the debate is a gimmick that's coming too late. And the U.S. government shutdown is now entering its fourth week. It's the longest in U.S. history. And now it's hampering Wall Street dealmakers. The shutdown could delay initial public offerings and takeovers that require national security clearance or approval from competition watchdogs. Agencies that usually oversee these processes have been suspended or had their staff cut. The delays can cause issues for companies that have agreed to deals with looming deadlines for closure. They can also throw financing commitments into doubt. The timing of highly anticipated listings like Uber and Lyft could also be questioned. The SEC has halted reviewing IPO filings during the shutdown. U.S. President Trump has said he won't reopen the government without funding for a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. But Democrats in Congress say they won't vote for that. Once the government does reopen, it will also take some time for the agencies to get fully back up and running. And here's something else we're following. Hey, Jim. Eric. How are you? Um, a bit fraught because I've been trying to make sense of the political situation and Brexit. And it's like trying to put together a jigsaw. <laughs> if you're feeling about the same way right now, I wouldn't blame you. It's a big week for Brexit. Prime Minister Theresa May's withdrawal deal with the EU is expected to go to a vote in the House of Commons on Tuesday. Jim Pickard is the chief political correspondent for the FT. So the working assumption at the moment is that the British Prime Minister Theresa May is going to lose the most important vote of her premiership of the decade 
possibly of our generation, by a thumping number of about 200 MPs. So even though there's been little movement in the last few days, a couple of people coming around and saying they're going to support her deal, no one in London thinks that this is going to pass. And MPs were originally going to vote on this deal back in December, but the vote was delayed because Mrs. May felt that she didn't have the votes. So has anything changed about the deal since then? The truth is, when it comes to the fundamentals of what MPs are going to vote on on Tuesday evening, which is the withdrawal agreement with Brussels on the terms on which Britain's going to leave the EU, nothing has massively changed yet. So we're basically looking at the same deal that was set to fail in December. Well, the main difference is about to happen. A formal exchange of letters between Theresa May and Jean-Claude Juncker from the European Commission. And in it, the Europeans are going to say that there should be some kind of time limit on the Irish backstop, which is the mechanism designed to prevent a hard border on the island of Ireland. But it's the one thing which has really antagonised not only an awful lot of Tory Eurosceptic MPs, but also the DUP, who only have a dozen MPs, but they are the ones that, the sort of junior partners who give Theresa May's minority government a majority in the House of Commons. But the problem with these guarantees is that they are likely to be verbal assurances and not legal promises of the kind which would win over most of these MPs. So it could change a bit of opinion. It's not likely to amount to a sea change amongst the Eurosceptics. And MPs have also been trying to exert more power over the Brexit process. Can you explain how some have tried to change the Commons rules? Yeah, so what's really interesting here is that you have a situation where a majority of the British public voted to leave the European Union in 2016, but a very large majority of members of Parliament, lawmakers, wants to stay in the EU. And even though there's a sort of recognition that the democratic mandate of that vote should be respected, there are an awful lot of MPs who want to ensure the softest possible Brexit, the Brexit that ensures less economic damage in terms of relationships with our biggest trading partners across the English Channel. And one of the things we saw last week was a couple of votes where Theresa May's government was defeated on issues that were all about Westminster, or rather Parliament, taking more control of the Brexit process. So, for example, there was an amendment by a Tory Europhile MP called Dominic Grieve, a former Attorney General, saying that if Theresa May is defeated on Tuesday night, she has to come back to the House of Commons within three working days with a new solution. And that's designed to put pressure on her and ensure that she doesn't just sort of run down the clock towards the end of March, making Britain leave the European Union with no deal, which is something that an awful lot of people want to stop. And if the deal does fail on Tuesday, which most are expecting it to, what would that mean? And what could we expect after that? So what Theresa May and Downing Street are saying emphatically is that if and when MPs don't back the deal, they are opening a Pandora's box of unforeseen consequences, one of which could be that there's no Brexit at all and that there could be a, a delay to Article 50, there could be a second referendum, or, or the government could, in theory, just bin off Brexit altogether. Or, at the opposite end of the spectrum, we could have a no-deal Brexit, which is where we leave the European Union at the end of March without any sort of central agreement with Brussels, which causes all sorts of legal issues, complications for business, potential 
border customs chaos and that is the message she's trying to put across and to be honest no one in Westminster right now is making confident bets about which of these outcomes is the most likely. I think from Downing Street's perspective, they will try to go back to Brussels if she's defeated massively and ask for more concessions. But you know, the longer they keep doing that, and if she keeps getting voted down, we get closer and closer to March the 29th and the default option, which is still no deal Brexit. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. Today, we'll be following U.S. bank earnings reports. The value of Wall Street's six biggest banks fell $200 billion in the final months of 2018. This week, we'll find out how their businesses did during that same quarter. Citigroup kicks off the reports at 8 a.m. Eastern today. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for all the latest business news. 